Again, welcome to everybody here in person, those watching online. It is a joy to be able to come before you and announce good news. We get to hold up good news. Each and every week we get to hold up good news. The good news that God has done for us what we couldn't do on our own. Good news that God has overcome the obstacles before us, obstacles that we could not overcome. That he could defeat what we could never defeat. This is a day of good news, the day of salvation. And it's a privilege to be able to make much of it. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 12. We're going to consider just a few verses today. We're going to consider verses 33 through 42. We're actually talking about the actual Exodus moment. The word Exodus just simply means to, to come up or to go out. And here we are now, finally, at that very moment where the people of God who were under ever-increasing oppression and slavery were now brought up out of Egypt. So let's consider this incredibly good news today together, starting with verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus They plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, a very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because They were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. As we come to this passage, we pray for your spirit to be at work in the preaching of it, in the hearing, the receiving, the believing, the trusting of this, your word. We would indeed encourage our hearts that we would want to live joy-filled lives for you and your glory. God, would you do this, we pray in Christ's name, amen. The Exodus story is a jolt of heart-piercing joy for the church in any age and stage of its history. It pierces the heart and gives it joy. So that means, for you and I, right now, on August 2nd, 2020, the passage we just read is to pierce our hearts... And all that might be calcified around them, 
or all the things that might be swirling around in our lives. It's to pierce all of that and to give us joy. Joy. Joy because of what God does and how God does it. And that's really my hope. As we are here at the Exodus event, the moment the people of God go out of the land, we get to bask in two overwhelmingly awesome things about God. One, the Exodus shows us that Yahweh fulfills His promise. Yahweh fulfills His promise. The steadfast, loving, covenant-keeping God doesn't fail at what he says he will do. That's awesome. Secondly, this Exodus event shows us that that Yahweh provides for his people. And that might feel like just an empty statement, but there's so much depth here in how God provides for his people. The closest word, and we'll get to it, that I can come up with is abundantly. So we're going to consider that today. And my hope as we, as we consider those two things, that it would pierce our hearts. And in that pierced wound, if you will, it would just be a corridor, a conduit, if you will, of God's grace to us that would then flood it with joy. That we would consider this God and what He does And just have joy. So let's dig in together quickly. Because if I don't stay to this, I will keep us here until the 5 p.m. service. And that's fine. You say that. You say that now. (laughs) First, Yahweh fulfills His promise. Two moments that we need to do. A moment of review... And a moment to rejoice, all right? So that's what we're going to consider here together. As we look at, the, at God who fulfills His promise, it's going to first, let's consider a moment of review. Let's just take into account the things that God said, the things that He said He would do. So what we've learned along the way in these 12 chapters into Exodus is that Yahweh, God, heard, He saw, He remembered, He knew, and He promised. So the people are crying out. They're in a horrible condition. It's the people of God, and they're crying out for something, anything, for God to do anything. God heard, God saw, God remembered, God knew, and He promised. Let's just quickly move through that. Way back in Exodus chapter 2. So the first two chapters are spent giving us the context of God's people. They're in horrible conditions. We see the birth narrative of Moses and some early mistakes in his life. And we get this description before we see God speak to Moses at the burning bush. Exodus chapter 2, 23 through 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry to rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. God remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. 
So here we, we, we find Yahweh, God, acknowledging His people and their cries. He's not absent. He's not uncaring. He, he's, not, he's not busy with other stuff and just didn't hear it. He hears and that hearing, that seeing, that remembering, that knowing, that promise moves more and more into action. In Exodus chapter 3, speaking to Moses at the scene at the burning bush, these two verses, 7 and 8. I have, seen, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land. Again, he's not remaining distant or far, at least from a human perspective. He comes down all the way down into their oppression, all the way down into their slavery condition, all the way down into their brokenness. He comes all the way down in order to do what? Bring them all the way out. So here he, he promises we, we need to review these things. Because in this moment that we read at the beginning here in Exodus 12, it's the fulfillment of what he promised. He went all the way down to bring them all the way out. And then in Exodus 3, 19 through 22, some very specific things that we see specifically mentioned in Exodus 12. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Okay, so we spent a few weeks looking at that mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give the peop this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. Keep in mind, 430 years they were oppressed, they were marginalized, they were mocked, they were ridiculed, they had no opportunity to accumulate any wealth of their own, they probably just lived day by day by stitches. The system and everything about their life in Egypt was bent against them to keep them down and working on bricks and mortar and dying. They had nothing and they had no hope of ever accumulating anything. That was their context. You shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and your daughters so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Yahweh promised a great display of a great power over an unrelenting Pharaoh in harsh conditions in Egypt, and he promised the plundering of the Egyptians by the people of the Hebrew people as they left. They lifted no sword. They struck down no Egyptian, and they left victoriously. This is staggering when we review it. These are things that God spoke and said beforehand, and then saw fit to see it all the way through to fulfill 
everything that he said to Moses and through Moses to the people. And in the night of that last plague, in a ruined Egypt, decimated by the judgment of God, we see the people of Egypt urgently calling the people, go. Go. Verse 33 of chapter 12, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. Go. All that God said would be was. All that God said would be came to be. God spoke and it was. Not only that, but listen to how. Specifically, they did not leave empty-handed. Verses 35 and 36, the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. They went and asked for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked, and so they plundered. Not only did God, all that God said would be, came to be, but all that was promised was absolutely given. I mean, this is overwhelming. Those two thoughts, that God fulfills what He says He will do, and He will do so most incredibly, most abundantly, most overwhelmingly, should stagger our hearts should be a jolt to us in the midst of maybe ordinariness or insignificance or just in the midst of a, of a pandemic or all sorts of societal struggles and challenges and we just feel numb to all that might be going on in the world, let alone all that might be going on in our own lives, all the insecurities that we struggle with in our own hearts, all the fears that dominate our minds when we try to go to sleep, all of it. This is jolting. God said he would do it, and then he did in full measure. Friends. And this is, this is awesome about God's word. It's much more unified than we feel at times. It's, it's helping us see. This is just kind of like anticipating how, would, how God would do that even more profoundly through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So as we take a moment to reflect on the fact that Yahweh fulfilled His promise to the people, as we reflect on that, it should spur us and, and move us and, and jolt us to rejoice, to be joy-filled. Joy-filled. Reviewing is meant to lead to rejoicing. It's not just simply meant to win arguments with atheists. It's meant to have joy flood in your hearts. Reviewing what Yahweh fulfills and His promises fuels our joy-filled worship into very significantly important ways. How reviewing the faithful 
fulfilling God's ways is to fuel our joy in worship. First, and this hopefully is not just some sort of intellectual thing, but actually a very relational, personal thing for you as you think about this. The first way is that by looking at and reviewing God's fulfilling work, we see that Yahweh is able. That God is able to do what He says He's going to do. Not just able, overwhelmingly able to do what He promises. It is very important. If He were not able, if He was just all talk, if He were not able, then there would be no exodus. He has to have power and authority to do what He said He was going to do. And so the Exodus account reveals to us and shows us that in His fulfilling of His promises, He's showing His great power and might and ability to do so. So you don't cling to a weak God who can't do it. Okay? That should flood your heart with joy. You don't have a weak God. Secondly, And reviewing how Yahweh fulfills His promises and how that should fuel our joy-filled worship. Not only do we see that He is able, but maybe you can anticipate what I'm going to say. You see that Yahweh is willing. Normally we say willing and able, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted you to feel the willing second. Not that God is just able to do it, but he wants to do it. He's not forced into it contractually with his creation. He wants to go about rescuing his people and vindicating his glory and defeating his enemies. He is willing. He's not begrudgingly but with enormous compassion moved into action, he delivers his oppressed people. Similarly, if he were not willing, there would be no exodus. There would be no salvation. The exodus, in reviewing it, reviewing all the build-up to it, shows us God is able and God is willing to rescue forgotten, marginalized, oppressed, beat down, struck down, broken, insignificant people from nowhere and anywhere and everywhere. I hope that just hits your heart. Not just your mind, but your heart. I don't know how you struggle with the way that you perceive yourself or the sin and shame and regret that you have when you review your own life. Knowing the human experience, because I'm a human, I know insecurity, I know regret, I know shame, I know fear, I know doubt, 
I know impatience and anger. I know all those thoughts and all those feelings. I know bouts of that. I know seasons of that. I know days of that. I know those kinds of moment by moments. And when we let that thing that just wants to nag and gnaw at our soul, the microphone, our eyes, our ears, our hearts are not attuned to the God who is able, the God who is willing to deliver his people from the oppression of sin and slavery. That he willingly, with great affection and compassion and power and might, comes down into our brokenness in order to bring us up out of it. Rather than listening to ourselves, we should grow at being experts at preaching to ourselves the overwhelming good news of a God who fulfills all his promises. That flood our hearts with joy in the midst of any and all circumstances. Deep, well joy. Might be a drought on the surface, but that well goes deep and gives us joy. Imagine the exhilarating, joy-filled, hope-swelling bewilderment that night when the Hebrew people, in haste, left Egypt, throwing jewelry on their kids and clothes on their shoulders. The thought, Yahweh really did it. As they're walking through darkened corridor and streets, as they're heading out of Ramesses on the way to Succoth, Yahweh really did it? Imagine the swelling joy after 430 years of worsening conditions in what seemed like silence and distance. Imagine that joy overtaking the feeling of, of overlooked or forgotten or oppressed. The joy that comes from clinging to a God who is able and willing. I commend that to you. No change in your circumstance in this earthly life can ever provide for you a joy that will last for all eternity. A joy that lasts for all eternity can only be provided by one who is all eternity. And that is only found in the God who is able and willing. Now that leads me to this is second point with just a few minutes. And that is Yahweh provides for his people. And again, I can't think of a better word than a word like abundantly or aboundingly. That Yahweh provides abounds, it goes beyond limit, it exceeds, and does so extremely. That there is no halfway with Yahweh. That it's full throttle grace with no let up. That when he pours out his grace, the pedal is on the floor. He doesn't just sort of splash it out on his people. The Egyptians were plundered. The Hebrews left with the spoils of victory. They didn't lift a sword. They didn't lift a spear. They didn't lift a rock. God did it for them. But they left as if they did all the victory work. Yahweh won the battle, but the people leave with the spoils. 
an abundance of provisional care for a people who were under slavery for 430 years, or at least worsening conditions over the span of centuries. They had nothing to themselves, and they left with riches. And not only that, but they were to experience this abundance again and again and again, like in the land that they were going to go into. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we have these incredible words. Moses speaking to the people before they enter the promised land. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, cisterns that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. By his name they shall swear. Abundantly. God provides abundantly without measure or without limit. It is is incalculable. The provision of God's care and grace. And it's not only in what he gives to the people, but it's also the people. It's abundant. And what God does in terms of who he sees as his people. Even the they who left Egypt are beyond just the scope of the Hebrews. Exodus 12, 38 was one of those staggering verses for me. I wanted to do the whole sermon just on this verse and maybe another day. But it, it, it just jolted in a positive, like joy-giving way. Listen to this. A mixed multitude also went up with them. And very much livestock, both flocks and herds. A mixed multitude. This is overwhelming. This is referring to people other than the Hebrews. Other slaves, other servants, and and most likely Egyptians themselves. There may have been many Egyptians who saw the one true God and saw the way He cared for His people and said, I want that. That's real. And they left Egypt. How abundantly God provides by His grace. Went beyond the scope of even this family. And that promise has all been there. You see it in Genesis. You see it through the pages of Scripture. We see it fulfilled in great measure in the age of the church. overwhelming to see how abundantly he provides and most incredibly we see this fulfillment and provision meet in the most abundant ways in the person and work of Jesus Christ the gospel the good news of Jesus is the overabundance of God fulfilling his promises and providing for his people it's over what God has done. The Apostle Paul, just poetically, amazingly, with great affection, grabbing words to employ, to convey to us how amazing this gospel is. In Ephesians chapter 1, which I would just encourage you to just camp out in verses 3 through 14, it's just one long sentence in the original language. It's just a run-on. Paul's so overwhelmed by what God has done through Christ He says these words in verses 7 and 8. In Him, in Jesus, 
we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he begrudgingly gave a little bit out to his people, lavished. God lavished. He extravagantly spent and spoiled His people with grace in the person and work of Jesus Christ. What some of you want to do when you go to the outlet mall, God did through the gospel in even greater measure. He lavished. That word, lavished. Poured out in full measure with incredible affection and worth and joy. That's not, a, that's not a curmudgeon word, is it? The first curmudgeon that says lavish is probably saying it in a like, complaint. <laughs> not a word that comes to a begrudging God. And we lavished His people. The Exodus story is giving us a glimpse of this God that anticipates what He does in the gospel. Friends, this is overwhelming. This is overwhelming joy-giving, joy-producing. And it's not just that, but it's also people. In Revelation chapter 7, we get a peek at the very end. We get a glimpse at the very, very end. And at the very end, in glory, God's redeemed people all gathered up and worshiping the, the king, the, the lion and the lamb. We find this picture. Revelation chapter 7, 9, and 10. And after this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Abundance. Abundance. Overabundance. A great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. over. Overwhelming abundance of God's grace spilled out on this earth. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches, victory. Palm branches are a sign of victory of the King. With palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Greatest song ever. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne to the Lamb. There is no limit to the who's and the where's of that great multitude. No limit. So, not only is it no limit when it comes to peoples and languages and tribes from all, every corner of the nation, but it also means every alleyway, corridor, and, and nowhere road, and anywhere, and everywhere in between. That means a nameless, ordinary, everyday, easily forgotten, easily overlooked, easily ridiculed, and then forgotten person has this great hope fixed on a lavishing God who has great power and great affection to save from all places, all people, for His glory. Please allow that to simmer in your head. And may the aroma of that flood your heart with joy. The overwhelming picture 
of God's grace for us through Jesus Christ. In reviewing and rejoicing the faithful God who sees his promises through and provides abundantly for his people, there are some things just to keep in mind. God doesn't neglect his promises. He doesn't neglect his promises. And because God doesn't neglect His promises, it brings to us, obviously, hopefully, an experientially joy, and in that joy, confidence in the face of our insecurities. God doesn't neglect His promises, so even though we feel insecure about the things in our lives, or the things in our own hearts, as we reflect and rejoice in the God who doesn't neglect His promises, Confidence comes for the heart that's insecure. Secondly, a joy-producing truth to consider as we reflect and rejoice. God doesn't forget His people. He doesn't forget His people. And so for those who feel hopeless or alone or isolated even now, God doesn't forget His people. There is now hope for those who feel hopeless. And then thirdly, as we think about how God doesn't neglect His promises and He doesn't forget His people, God doesn't nickel and dime His grace. He doesn't nickel and dime us with His grace. He has poured it out in full measure. And Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit in His people. You know how kids, and for those who are parents, grandparents, kids always sort of nagging you for like money. <laughs> I guess it probably doesn't matter the age. When they're younger, it's just like, you know, a dollar. When they're older, well, anyway, they're always nagging you. Nagging you for this and that, and you just sort of like finally, it just you're, they win, they beat you down, and you, you just give them that like five, or that ten, or that twenty, or that whatever. And you're just kind of like, ugh. God doesn't do that with His grace for us. He doesn't have to be worn down, nagged to death, to just begrudgingly give us a five. He pours out His grace in full measure. When you think of the Exodus and all of its incredible drama, the story of it, I ask you to think of it in light of this. God pouring out His grace for His people. What God has done in fulfilling what He promised and providing that fulfillment in abundance, it is good news for weary hearts in a hard world. Will you 
Rejoice in that with me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it reveals to us your character, who you are. It reveals to us how awesome you are. It reveals to us how faithful you are. It reveals to us how overabundant your grace is. Oh God, may our hearts be moved to joy. and Within that joy, may it just multiply into confidence, hope in the midst of a hard world in which we live. And thank you that you are the one who enters in, comes all the way down into the oppression in order to bring us all the way out to freedom. May we trust in you all the more. In Christ's name, amen. Just a couple of announcements.